0: I need to get better. Please make me better. I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Hello, I'm Dave and I'm the person who puts all of this stuff together. Today, we're going to be getting better acquainted with me again, I'm afraid. A bit more of me. In fact, people who... Uh, regular listeners to the show may have heard some of the things that I talk about in today's episode before in different ways because I'm going to share with you two true stories that I told recently at Spark London. Spark London is a true storytelling night that happens in different venues in London. I host the Hackney branch of that at the Hackney Attic on the second Monday of every month and what you're going to hear today is a story that I told in December and a story that I told in January on that stage. The recordings are generally okay, but the mic that we use isn't always the best mic. It's fine in the room, but it doesn't always sound that great when listened back to. So apologies about that in advance. This is not a proper episode of Getting Better Acquainted. If this is your first time listening to the show, this is what I call a Getting Better Acquainted extra, where I put out a little extra content that isn't in the normal format. The reason that I'm not bringing a full conversation to you this week between me and somebody that I know is because I'm super busy this week really and I don't have time to edit an episode in time to put it out on Wednesday. So rather than leaving a gap I thought I would throw this together in a few snatched moments. One of the reasons that I can't edit this week's Getting Better Acquainted? is because I'm going up to Edinburgh to perform my show, What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity. And both of these stories, usefully and coincidentally, link in to that show in different ways. So... I'm six or seven years old and I go into my primary school assembly room. Uh, My primary school was a small town uh, school in North Wales. So it was one of those schools where everyone's in the same class, basically, because it's a tiny population. And I go into the assembly hall and I I remember it. I've been to a lot of schools in a lot of parts of the country and they all have the same kind of tiles in their kind of assembly rooms. We all sat there like we normally would, but there was something different about that room because in the middle of that room instead of a a teacher leading an assembly was uh, a teepee and in front of that teepee uh, was uh, a cowgirl uh, with a a gun I think in her hand uh, and uh, tied by a rope to that teepee was uh, a Native American. And this cowgirl, she gave us this big speech about how amazing America was, how amazing the Wild West was, how great colonisation was, basically, although she did not use those words. And uh, she made this big speech and then she took some food out of her pocket and it was in a bag uh, and she dropped it in the middle of the floor uh, and she said, do not let him, that Indian, uh, eat that food and she left the room. And so we're all sitting there, like, looking at each other, children going, what? You know, we're not saying what the fuck, we're just saying what? Um, and, you know, I look at, and the the Native American comes forward and he says, can you let me have that food? Uh, and, like, I'm, I just see a, a hungry, starving person and who wants some food, so I stand up. And I walk forwards, I pick up the food, and I give it to the Native American. And at that point, the cowgirl comes back in, the teachers all come to the front, and it's been like a a piece of theatre that's teaching us some stuff about uh, about the world. And it taught me quite a lot about the world, I feel like, in that moment. I think it's one of the things that made me want to make art. Uh, It's one of the things that made me want to stand up and speak out. Uh, And it made me sort of start to grapple towards the kinds of politics that I now have as a 36 year old. And also, I should say as well, I don't think it was necessarily like if I went back and watched it now, I might have a big critique for it. I'm not sure that the person playing the Native American was Native American for a start. Um, so, you know, I'm not saying it was the best piece of theatre, but to me as a child, it blew me away. And it taught me that speaking up is something that's valued and valuable and important. And it's probably the thing that makes me cry uh, every time I see, you know, an I'm Spartacus scene in a film or dead poet society like I watched the shit out of that as a teenager just crying all the time uh because I love it when they all stand on the chairs and they you know come together for the person that they care about and it's tragic as well it doesn't even work um so like that's what got into my heart back then but the thing is about those I'm Spartacus moments is they don't really happen that way necessarily in life so I went on in my life with this idea that yes we'll all stand up and come together and there'll be these I'm Spartacus moments um, and then I changed schools a few times and I found myself in Cardiff as a young kind of 13 year old with a, an English accent in Cardiff which is already not popular I was covered in acne had glasses I liked to read books so I got in a lot of shit, and I became a, a, a very bullied person. Um, they gave me a nickname, which was Melvin. And when they gave me that nickname, the reason why it stuck is because I tried to speak out. So a kid said to me, you look like a Melvin. And I didn't, like, hit him, and I didn't, like, run away. I made a big speech about how I was not a Melvin, and what did that even mean? And, of course, that made the class pick on me more, shout at me Melvin, and it ended, like, all of the class shouting Melvin. At me and me like freaking out, crying in the middle of the classroom. Because that's what happens when you want an I'm Spartacus moment. It doesn't happen. They all shout Melvin instead of going I'm Spartacus or I'm Melvin. Um, and you know, so that's what happened, and I had that for years and years of my life, and it was systematic, and it was, you know, involved spitting and kicking and general dehumanization and homophobia and gender policing and all kinds of fun stuff. And uh it kind of came to a head another time when I tried to. Have an Iron Spartacus moment where I decided that for the school I steadfod, uh, I would uh, sing Stop Whispering, Start Shouting by Radiohead a cappella so everyone would understand that I was a human being. Um, and what happened was, you know, I did that, I stood there, I sang that song a cappella to a room full of people, and they started laughing, and they started shouting Melvin, and they started throwing things at me. And I did that for the entire performance, and regardless of the fact that they were doing that, and then they didn't clap at all, there was a complete silence at the end, and I just walked out of the room, and walked out of the school, and just fucking left with a couple of friends who actually cared about me, and just, like, did not go back to school that day. And another moment when I tried to do an I'm Spartacus moment at school was I wanted to write an article for the school magazine to to tell people what it was like to be a Melvin. Um, And uh, the teacher said no, they wouldn't let me do that because they were worried that I would get picked on more. Uh, But they couldn't stop me from being picked on and uh, I was already being picked on quite extremely. So I do wish they had not stopped me from doing that. I wish I had not had my voice uh, stopped in that moment. So scroll forward to where I'm at now. Like I've learned that speaking up doesn't always work. I've learned that I don't always speak up. Like lots of the times in my life I have not spoken up when I should have spoken up. Uh, Lots of the times in my life I have spoken up and it has been not rewarded. So I've learned that speaking up is more complicated than that. But I've also learned that if you keep on speaking then eventually you do get to do what you intended to do originally. So at school, I was picked on for being sensitive. Now that's what people like about the work that I do. And I make a show, I do a solo show about masculinity and how that's fucked me up. And as part of that show, I tell the story of me being a Melvin. And I do get to do the thing that I wanted to do at school, of telling people what it is like to be a Melvin. And I do see that they, many of them unfortunately understand Already, what it's like to be a Melvin, and that also the people who don't can empathize with me in that space, in that way, it does work. It's not like I'm Spartacus, but it does work in some way. And like that's what I do now. And I, I I took it to Edinburgh and like I did it in a tiny room with hardly any audience, and I just kept on getting up each day and going and telling all of my most traumatic experiences to sometimes one person. Like as that's what it's like when you actually decide to speak up. And I keep doing it, and I'm doing it in a university next Friday and I've done it to big audiences and I've done it to small and with the Weinstein stuff and everything that's happening in the world where we are like I feel like I have to keep on telling that story telling the story about how masculinity fucks up men but also how men fuck up other people because of this thing that I call uh, well I'm not original to call it that but because of patriarchy basically and so yeah eventually people do start to listen and hear you but it's not In those dramatic moments, it's in the moments where you persevere, where you keep on going, when no one's listening, that I think I've done the best kinds of speaking up. The first moment that I realised that I was a role model to other people was when I was standing outside Oakwood Library in in Enfield where I was working as a library assistant and I I was having a cigarette and uh, a kind of little two-year-old came by uh, like with their their parent or guardian um, and looked up at me uh, and started crying. Um, And that child started crying because as they quickly said to their parent or guardian uh, that uh, there's the story man... And he's going to die. And the reason that the child thought I was going to die, he's, you know, he is correct, everyone's going to die, and he'd also noticed that uh, I was smoking, and so it increases my likelihood that I'm going to die. Um, and the reason he called me Story Man uh, was because what I did uh, as part of my job as a library assistant is I did the under fives rhyme time. I did uh, a, a baby uh, rhyme time, so it was just like, like babies in a circle, and like with mums as well, not babies on their own. That would be very intense. Um, and like when we would do rhymes together in that in that in that rhyme time and I would also do the under fives which is what I really liked doing like more than the babies because I like babies but they are a little bit boring um I like like kids when they've got like when they can talk back to you better um but I never said this in my in my baby sessions don't worry um and like so I used to do the under fives rhyme time and that was stories and songs when I kind of got that job I just started learning the ukulele so I would play the ukulele like I wanted to be you know a rock star but there I was playing a ukulele to the under fives and you know what that is being a rock star they think you're the best um like it is being a rock star like sometimes playing like uh, like as I went on and I'll go into what I went on to do but as I went on playing uh, ukulele with the under fives there were like definite rock style moments where I like you know p- I stopped someone from tripping up you know like did something else that, and then like came down on the right chord like and it just like worked and everyone cheered you know there was there was moments like that it did give me me a lot as well that job um but I loved doing the end of fives and what happened was a new job opportunity came up within Enfield to be an early years library outreach worker and what that job is, and there, aren't, there were never, I don't think there were any other jobs like it in the country at that time, uh, and there aren't any jobs like it in the country at all now. Um, but uh, like that job was to go around to children's centres all over the borough of Enfield, and to do baby rhyme times and story uh, and rhyme sessions and, and various different kinds of uh, engagement with the community on behalf of the library service. And the idea was it would give children uh, literacy and engagement, it would help model stuff to parents, although I feel a bit complicated about the idea of me modeling anything to anyone. Um, And it would also kind of like uh, help in lots of ways to the library to get kind of a connection with the community to get more people coming into the libraries to get people reading and all of those kinds of things. And I, I'm here to tell you, it absolutely worked in loads and loads of ways. Like at the end of the day, I often think it's it is sad because the people who come into a children's centre are not the most uh, disadvantaged people. They uh, are often, at least, even if they are uh, practically disadvantaged, they are at a point where they want to kind of get a connection with a community and to to learn how to like. Bring up their children, um, or to like learn together, learning isn 't something I 'm comfortable saying about that kind of thing, but I did have to fulfill learning objectives, of course, um, and like that job, it did like this like great thing. I was working in all of these different communities, like uh, not just you know, the well to do areas of Enfield, although I did do baby rhyme times in well to do areas because it 's a public service, and it was for everybody, but I also worked in lots of more uh, struggling uh, areas of, of the borough. Uh, with really great people, like really great mums, really great uh, children, really great workers in those children's centres doing amazing things with no budget and no like time and just putting all of their love into their job and that, you know, more love into that job than that job uh, like was paying them to do, you know, they were giving more love than they were paid for and they did it, you know, without thinking about it, it was just what they did and I guess I did that too it feels weird to say that about myself but I guess I did do that and I worked with you know, uh, teenage uh, parent groups uh, and my, my, my little sister was a teenage parent and so that was a, a, a group that was very close to my heart I, I, did, I worked a lot with young dads and I did become another kind of role model a role model for, uh, for adults which is super weird for me because I have never ever been uh, someone that men have ever wanted to aspire to in fact normally men you know like to tell me i'm not a proper man and like kick me um so it was interesting to change that dynamic and to be in this situation with big masculine men being very very uh, gentle with their children you know and like realizing that the masculinity isn't the thing that i was afraid of it's just horrible people um who happen to be men uh who are socialized to be horrible people um so like that was a, a weird experience for me and i did kind of story hunt with dad uh, initiatives and i did a Lot of work and sort of specialized into that area, um, and I loved it. And it was the only time in my life I've ever had a job that I love that's given me stuff and that I felt like I was doing a good thing and I could give something to. Um, and then, even though we always hit our targets, even though we could always prove that we were doing what we said we were supposed to be doing, uh, the cuts rolled out to my team, uh, and that team was taken away from all of those families, all of those communities. That job that I did uh, that was one-of-a-kind job was not rolled out across the country, which I think it should have been, um, but was cut. And I kind of found out how much of a role model I was in the last week of that job, because I would go into the sessions and uh, the... Parents like every session was like it broke my heart because every session there would be presents to thank me for all of the work that I'd done and it was work you know these were presents from people who had no money and they were giving it to me who's I didn't I don't have money but I've I've got you know middle class upbringing and like all a lot of I'm white I've got a lot of advantage um, and so it was humbling to be given these presents by people like and, and by and by families and by groups of people by the temporary the temporary accommodation play project gave me. The most expensive uh, Amazon voucher I've ever been given, and that was people who have no house, no no accommodation, who gave me that. Um, and so it was humbling, it was heartbreaking uh, to say goodbye to those children. After I finished that job, I wrote an article about it in the Guardian. You know, like a comment is free piece, and like a load of like Guardian readers. No offence if you could read the Guardian. Uh, like you know, commented underneath like, why should we be paying for kids to have stories and songs? what use is that and I was like you're reading The Guardian and you think you're so fucking enlightened and yet you don't understand the value of stories and songs so uh, that's my brief uh, experience being a role model and I'm not a role model anymore and that's a relief Um, but it's not a relief to me that that job doesn't exist anymore and that 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 can't be given to those those communities uh, anymore at this time, and I think we should do everything we can to try and get back to s- something like that uh, as a society. But obviously, that's my opinion, uh, and not the view of necessarily of Spark. So I hope you enjoyed those stories. Sorry to not have more to share with you this week and to be sharing with you things that maybe repeat a little bit of content from previous episodes. Hopefully, even if this was a little bit of repetition, it's also been some new stuff or a new combination, at least, of old stuff. So if you're interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people, then you might be interested in my solo show, What About The Men? Mansplaining Masculinity, which you can listen to for free as a podcast. And you can also read the survey of a thousand men's opinions about patriarchy and masculinity that I put together. You can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk or you can look for stand-up tragedy on iTunes and listen to the most recent podcast, which is a full version of that show. If you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship, and again, a little bit about masculinity, then check out my essay series, Down to a Sunless Sea, Memories of My Dad. As well as making Getting Better Acquainted, I also co-produce and, I guess, star in the magical realist audio drama podcast, The Family Tree. In order to keep making it and to make season two as good as we want it to be, we need your help. So if you can afford to, then please do consider signing up to our Patreon appeal. You can follow Getting Better Acquainted on Twitter at GBA Podcast. You can like Getting Better Acquainted on Facebook and you can find Getting Better Acquainted on iTunes, SoundCloud, those kind of places. But remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.